Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Hey, hey, good morning, or, or good day, or even good night, depending on when you find your way here. This is Holding Ground from Anchor Light Therapy Collective, and, well, this is a little bit funny because... Uh, I'm Laura Sullivan Cassidy. You can call me Elsie. And I'm introducing the very first episode, and it's not even my show. Here's the deal. Several years ago, um, probably about 10 to be more exact, I searched Hypnotherapy Seattle and wound up on Laura Richard's door. She used to do more hypnotherapy and and now is more of a full um, therapist. Uh, And for the next several years after, after I found my way to Laura, she helped me immensely as I dipped in and out, and we worked not just with hypnotherapy, but with traditional talk therapy approaches as well. And um, in around 2013, I made a Facebook post in the middle of a very dark winter when I was obsessed with getting all my depressed friends to go to therapy, and I described Laura this way. She is the perfect amount of woo-woo, balanced by the perfect amount of clinical counseling. She's the antithesis to that whispery, kind of weird, fairy dust person, and the antithesis of the detached, emotional, unemotional therapist. She's practical and spiritual. She's wonderfully unfancy and super down-to-earth, and I'm a true fan. So we connected a few months ago, not as therapist and client, but in a sort of flip-the-script moment as creative director and client. When Laura knew me best, I was a journalist and content creator, but now I'm a creative director and brand development. I do brand development, and so uh, I would say the rest is history, but the rest is history in the making. We're making it right now. Every once in a while, I'll be here on Holding Ground to help Laura and Michelle, who you're about to meet, as they uh, tango and tussle with all kinds of topics. So let me let Michelle and Laura welcome you. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning, Laura and Laura and our audience. Mm -hmm. Well, Elsie, thank you so much for that great introduction. And I have to say, I was so happy to reconnect with Elsie because we, um, when she wrote that fantastic Facebook post for me, I I can't remember how many clients I got from it, Mm -hmm. but it was like seven. I mean, it was just one little post had a huge impact. And so when we reconnected and she told me she had started her branding company called Full Bleed. Where can you find Full Bleed? Are you guys? On the internet, fullbleed.life. Fullbleed.life. Check it out. It was, I was like, I have to talk to her about helping me out because one little Facebook post did so much. So thank you for that, that yeah. great introduction. Um, so I also want to talk about and introduce my new fabulous co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is not only going to be my co-host here at Holding Ground moving forward, but she is also the newest therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. So just to give you a little bit of background, I met Michelle in our graduate school days. We were both interning at a community mental health clinic, and we hit it off right from the start, and we had a lot of fun and a lot of laughs, which is not 
necessarily easy to have in community mental health. Um, so, you know, I always had Michelle in the back of my mind that I wanted to maybe reconnect with her one day and work together because not only is she a fantastic therapist, but she's just also a lot of fun. So as luck would have it, we reconnected uh, earlier in the year via social media and I was ready to bring her on to to Anchor Light and go full speed ahead. And then COVID happened. And so we had to delay a little bit. And um, we have been working together um, in a more limited capacity, but we just have the best conversations. And so I knew she's who I wanted to bring on the radio with me and come back when I came back to KKNW. So, Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Laura, that's such a lovely introduction. Thank you. I'm so happy to be reconnected with you, enjoying Anchor Light Therapy, and also thank you for um, asking me to co-host with you. This is really exciting. Um, So to give a little background about myself, um, I always had this sense of I wanted to be in a helping role. Um, When I graduated from undergrad, um, I actually worked for an animal welfare organization in the Midwest, um, doing marketing and also fundraising for them. Um, And then you know, I transitioned obviously into mental health. And when I started working in mental health in 2016, I really started to notice themes with clients and a lot of what they were experiencing and a lot of, um, you know, symptoms of mental health that they were having were connected to past experiences. Um, And it was getting them stuck, right? So um, a lot of my work is getting clients unstuck from the trauma. Um, and one of the things that I use to do this is a therapy technique called EMDR, uh, which stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, um, which can... So we'll just stick with EMDR. EMDR, that's right. That's what we're going with because <laughs> yeah. um, that's a mouthful. Um, but that, you know, can really help um, remove that imprint of the trauma and help people get unstuck. So M- Michelle is a trauma specialist and... I am a couples therapist, and so when I was thinking about bringing another uh, therapist into my practice, what would really complement the work that I'm doing is, a, is was a trauma specialist because that's where in relationships we people get really stuck is that, you know, they're having problems in a current relationship, which really is rooted in a past relationship mm-hmm. or in their childhood. So Michelle was the perfect complement to what I was already doing. Cool. Yeah, it's it's great to be here with you both. Michelle, I'm really excited to get into EMDR in another episode. Um, we're definitely going to circle back on that for a larger download on that later in the month. For now, I wonder, wonder if you can um, help us out with something. I feel like in the last year or so, I've seen this term trauma-informed um, applied to a really, really wide range of people and topics. Um all of a sudden on Instagram, there's trauma-informed yoga teachers and trauma-informed meditation teachers and, of course, um, trauma-informed therapists and just a lot under that specific heading. And I was wondering maybe if you could break that down a little bit. Sure. Um, I think PTSD, um, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, is a good frame for this. Um, And just a little background on PTSD. Um, So this really started to get noticed around the Civil War, actually. Um, And it wasn't defined as trauma or PTSD. It was actually referred to as shell shock or sometimes a soldier's heart, right? It wasn't until the Vietnam War in the 1970s that we really started to notice um, and, you know, started to put a clinical framework around it. And of course, we know now you don't have to go through war to have scars, right? So knowing how to carry these scars with folks is um, what trauma-informed means, right? Understanding, affirming, and just holding space for that. Um, And so like you were saying, right, there's other disciplines that also use trauma-informed care like yoga and meditation teachers. And it's the same thing, holding that space. If something is triggered, let's say in yoga, um, you know, the trauma-informed yoga instructor 
is educated and they know how to hold that space and work with that um, student. So help them work through that emotion. Yeah. You said something that I think is really um, important to point out uh, because a lot of times people feel a little confused about what trauma actually is and Mm -hmm. feel like trauma is reserved just for wars or natural disasters or something really big like an assault. But in fact, trauma can be all kinds of things. Trauma can be just when we feel that something unexpected has happened, like maybe a partner ends a relationship and we didn't see it coming or or we get fired from a job and we experience that as a, a devastating loss. So it really is anything that you're holding on to that gets you stuck, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good um, point to mention because, yeah, we think about trauma in a lot of ways of physical, like external things that happen, um, like you said, natural disasters, for example. But there's also emotional trauma, and that can all be a little bit more devastating than physical trauma, especially if it keeps happening, right? If we're in a relationship, for example, where there's some sort of gaslighting, right? It can really um, be traumatizing. It can make us start to feel negative beliefs about ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, or, you know, emotional trauma can root back to childhood. So if you were neglected as a child, right, you didn't have your needs met, you weren't validated, um, you know, you might think throughout life, I'm not worthy of love, I'm not worthy of care, right? I'm not good enough. Um, so those things can be lasting and they affect, you know, everything we do going forward. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks to both of you. It's really helpful to understand those kinds of things. I think this is one way that holding ground is going to be really valuable for people in helping them understand and really integrate the kinds of concepts that we see out there. It's a whole different landscape with media. We have exposure to a lot of big ideas and a lot of niche concepts, and it's uh, there are buzzwords and areas of interest within any space, and particularly within wellness and, and positive mental health. And Um, they show up in our feed and we don't always really know what they are. And I think that um, there is unfortunately some potential to do harm to others and ourselves by sort of thinking that we know what something is when we don't really know. Mm -hmm. So I I see that as being a a really great piece of value for holding ground as you go forward. And I I think it's, it's um, could go without saying, but it's probably really important to say that um, no matter who you are and what, these last few months have been like for you, um, there are a lot of people that are experiencing trauma right now over these last few months, over this last week or so. Um, And unfortunately, it's probably going to continue to rise. Um, Job loss, lifestyle whiplash, the looming presence of illness and death, protests everywhere, the fear and uncertainty alone. it's, it's been a lot for everyone, and I think it's important to really understand that, you know, you may be safe in your home, in your job, in your relationship, just being a couple steps removed from things, but there's a way that it's infiltrating all of our lives right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point to touch on, and, you know, the um, instability of how things are going right now, right, that gives us a sense of loss of and when we don't have control, right, it makes us feel really unstable and we don't have a solid ground to stand on, right? Um, and, you know, a triggering event for trauma can be grief, right? And what we're experiencing right now is a lot of grief. Like you said, we may have job loss. We may have lost somebody to COVID. Um, you know, our normal routine, um, personal connection is a huge thing, right? We can't go to our grandma's house and hug her right now. Um, and it's important to recognize that it's okay to be feeling grief around this, right? Because it's a loss. 
Um, a lot of folks were plan- you know, looking forward to special events this year, weddings. Um, it's graduation season, right? And students aren't able to have commencement. Um, so there's a lot of grief over those losses. Yeah, thanks for calling all that out. I think that the two of you with Holding Ground and with some of the special programs at Anchor Light, you're doing a really special thing. This is an unprecedented time in human history. And while your focus is not on uh, pandemic-related stress or social reform, you're coming in with this really strong, grounded, compassionate wisdom and guidance on change and resiliency, fulfillment, and personal and interpersonal growth. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive deeper into um, what this coming season of the show is all about. Some people choose their specialty, and sometimes the specialty chooses them. For me, becoming a relationship therapist, well, it was a little of both. Hi, I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And over the last decade, I've explored love from every angle. Professionally, self-love, unrequited love, and yes, personally, too. I love love. It's the most powerful force on the planet. It affects everything we do. My co-host, Michelle Mooney, is an absolute expert on healing anxiety and trauma and the ways we can move out of pain and suffering to create a life full of purpose and meaning. This is Holding Ground. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing. Our specialty is helping others. At the end of the day, and well, on every Monday morning, what motivates us and drives us is helping you. So thank you for being here. It's sort of the best thing you could ever do. Oh, I love that. But I guess I would, right? Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Thanks for tuning in to our brand-new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Folding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. The nicotine in e-cigarettes is addictive and can harm brain development. That's why I worry about teens who try e-cigarettes. Many young people use pod-based e-cigarettes like Juul, which have high levels of nicotine. And because teens' brains are still developing, they can quickly become addicted. The tobacco industry uses fruit and candy flavors to attract young people, often turning them into lifelong users. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back. This is LC. This is a brand new show, Holding Ground. I'm your host today, but it's a temporary gig for me. From time to time, I'll be here to help the two therapists from Anchor Light Collective, Laura Richer and Michelle Mooney, as they navigate the most important issues in positive mental health. Before we get into more of our conversation in our very first episode let's pause for a speed round oh okay. <laughs> all right we're ready 
That's right. That's right. I am lobbying some questions and prompts at our intrepid therapist. I'm putting them on the spot a little bit. Consider it a friendly game of getting to know them um, with actually just a hint of everything you've always wanted to know about your therapist but were afraid to ask. Okay, I looked this up on the internet. Are you ready for this? This is the number one thing that therapy uh, therapy clients want to know but are afraid to ask. Do you get bored hearing us hash and rehash our problems? Tell the truth. Um, You know, I I like to think of therapy as people not bringing problems, right? They're bringing stories, and stories can shape us, and they can, you know, get us stuck like we were talking about earlier. And the thing about therapy is you get to tell those stories in a safe space and really get to understand how those stories impact you and how they're affecting you today. Um, And it's also important to remember these stories don't have to define us, right? We can always rewrite these stories and narratives to redefine ourselves. Yes, and I agree. I am never bored listening to anybody's stories or problems. Um, therapy is a process, and I think that's really important for people to mm-hmm. know. I think sometimes people think they might come in once and, once or twice and say, well, how come I don't feel better yet? Um, and sometimes it does take a little while that we do have to rehash the same thing over and over so that you can heal and reframe that experience and, and make new meaning out of it. So that is really important. I will say Um, If your therapist is ever trying to push you forward, it's not because they're bored of listening to you, but our job is to try to help you get unstuck. So if I do find that a client has been in the same place for a long time and we really have looked at this information at all angles, at that point I want to start exploring what what is keeping them stuck. Why why is there some resistance to moving forward? So it's not about me being entertained, but just wanting for them to see results. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, with with it's sort of the difference between uh, friendship and and therapist, right? Because with our friends, we can sometimes go like, "Oh, I'm tired of you talking about that guy." <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> but I guess I guess you therapists have a better approach. Uh, it's rather than expressing like, "Come on, we've we've been over this. <laughs> You've burned me out." Yeah. 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 Which is a benefit of going to therapy because exactly. sometimes your friends your friends are emotionally invested in you, and so when you're suffering or your family then that, that causes them suffering as well. You know, your therapist has an interest in you, but it's a professional relationship, mm-hmm. so they have more space to hold for you to, to rehash that same story over and over again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then finding where it's rooted in, right? Yeah. And then getting to that place and being able to resolve that and then hopefully not be stuck or rehashing anymore, right? Right. So you're not driving your friends crazy anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Key point, key point. <laughs> Here's another popular one. It seems that many therapy clients want to know, why doesn't my therapist ever tell me anything about their life? But, but before I kick this to you guys, I'll say, and remember I do know from experience, Laura, you do share your personal life and your path and your journey with clients. And it's something that I always really loved about our sessions and part of what I shared in that, in that Facebook post years ago. Um, you, you shared with me, I'm pretty sure it wasn't just me, so let's amend that one. How do you know if and when it's right to share a personal story, to open up a little bit more about yourselves with your clients? So self-disclosure can be a really effective tool when you're working with clients. um, And it has a lot of therapeutic value and just your client feeling heard or that you can relate to them. Um, It also helps you build rapport with your clients. Some people don't want the, the therapist that just acts as a mirror. They feel more comfortable to open up if they feel like they know a little bit about you or your life. When I used self-disclosure with clients, I am very selective about it. I don't use it with all of my clients. I only want to use it if it 
if my experience is relevant to theirs and I can help them, I, that I think it will help them in their process. So, for example, over the years, I've worked with many clients who want to leave the corporate world and, and start their own business. And I know how deeply terrifying that can be. And so sometimes it can be helpful for me to share, you know, that I had the same fear and, and let them know a little bit about what my process was and getting past that in order to help support them. What you don't want to do, though, is share something that's either not relevant to them or there are some clients who are not interested in you personally and they really want that therapist that just asks, acts as a mirror. So you want to be discerning in mm-hmm. when you use that that technique. I think that we had a lot of similarities. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you were so transformative for me with that that Aww. sort of that sort of job piece. I mean, I remember I just can it's like a movie in my mind, several sessions where you would share your experience and this job that you hated in corporate America. And I was going, oh, I, yes, that, I hate it. What what should we do? What did you do? What can I do? And, and it was so great to have that um, almost kind of like mentorship, really. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, and now you're doing it. It's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. Here, here I am on the other side. Yeah. It can be done. But yeah, but there are times when, you know, we can't relate to everyone's life experience in ways that are relevant. And that doesn't mean that I can't do therapy with someone where I don't have the same experience as them, um, but you know you don't want to you don't want to relate something that's not relevant. So if somebody has experienced a significant loss of a loved one, I don't want to come back and say, "Well, you know, my cat died last year," and so I totally get how you're feeling. So you want to be you want to be careful with how you use that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use self disclosure, Michelle? I do, um, and uh, you know, some clients will specifically tell me, like, you know, for me to trust you and for you to sit there and hear parts of my story, I want to know a little bit more about you. So, uh, in general, I'll share, you know, surface things like where I went to school. Um, sometimes clients, it's important to them to know how old I am. Um, and you know, first and foremost, therapy is about the client, right? So we don't want to hijack a session. That's not yeah. what we're doing in self disclosure. But your example of going through like a sudden, you know, tragic loss, right? It's if you have a therapist that also has that similar experience, you know, there's there's certain things we can learn in books. But if we haven't walked, you know, if we've walked through that in life as well, we can sit there and feel some of what they're feeling. Right. And our like you're giving the example of helping Elsie, right, build her business and um, leaving her prior uh, career. And while that was helpful, right, you still have two different paths in that. So that's important to also say, like, this worked for me. It might not work for you, right? right? But here's an example. I've walked through this, too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Last in our lineup of everything you always wanted to know but were afraid to ask, maybe. Uh, According to Oprah Magazine, and we know that to be a real source of truth in the world, um, (laughs) therapy clients want to know if you ever think about us in your normal life. And if we ever show up in your dreams. Very interesting. So I cannot think, I don't always remember my dreams. I can't Mm -hmm. think of one, not to say that it's never happened, but nothing comes to mind on that. Um, But I, when I saw, when I hear this question, what I think people are really asking is if they're being judged, Mm -hmm. if we think of you outside of your session and, and judge you. Um, So the answer to that question is no, that is not the, your therapist hopefully, I, most therapists I know are not judging their clients. They genuinely are there wanting to help them. And when I do think of clients outside of work, uh, just like anybody thinks of their work outside of their normal work routine, it's about how I can better help them. Maybe if I feel like an intervention that I'm using isn't effective, how I can find a more effective intervention, but never from a space of, of judgment. And I've heard clients tell me in the past, and my some of my friends too, that 
they lie in therapy. They don't want to tell their therapist everything. or they, right. <laughs> And that's not going to be helpful to you. So mm-hmm. we're not judging you. We want you to bring everything there because that's yeah. how you're going to get the best results. Right. But. Absolutely. On that point, Laura, um, you know, the judging piece, right? Um, um, well, so do you, I mean, have you ever had clients who have so, wondered whether you are judging them or want to um, know if probably, you... Probably, probably. Could... Um, and, you know, thinking about them outside of session, kind of like what you said, right? Um, you know, if I read something like, oh, this would be a really great inven- intervention or a story, you know, a metaphor or whatever it is that I see that might be able to help a client or something will pop into my head if I'm cooking dinner. Like, maybe yeah. I'll use this yes, next time, exactly. right? And that's that's kind of how I think about it. And, you know, people not being completely honest with their therapist. I know I've held things back in therapy yeah. before, right? Yeah, I and have if too because I didn't want to change them yet. So I just didn't <laughs> right. want to bring them up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that's something you're keeping in and not wanting to tell your therapist, that's probably a thing that you need to be working on. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. That's the most important thing yeah. probably to be saying. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I, I love knowing that. We might pop up in your minds while you're sure. making dinner yeah. or something. Oh, definitely. <laughs> 24-7 care, really. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, so uh, let's just get outside the box a little bit. Michelle, what's one thing you'd love for every person in Seattle to start doing? Well, obviously, we need to start drinking more coffee. I don't oh. think that really goes on here in Seattle. Right. You know, I don't think there's I think enough coffee consumption. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's so that's number one. <laughs> um, another thing, too, um, is that I think people really need to start listening to their bodies more. We can store trauma in our bodies. But also, you know, if you're tired, go to sleep. If you're hungry, eat, right? And I think we live in a society where it's like, Work 50 hours, keep pushing, right? We have to make all these unreasonable goals that just are not human nature, right? So if we're not getting the foundations of sleep, um, you know, eating enough, all of that, we can't function the way we want to. Um, so um, give yourself permission to care for your body and slow down. Yeah. That's Yeah, I think that's another thing that we're kind of a buzzword that maybe we'll come back to another time is this idea of like somatic therapy mm-hmm. and that right. that notion of listening to your body mm-hmm. and what does your gut instinct want you to do right i love that you called that out yeah Yeah. so okay laura say that you're throwing a dinner party and you can invite four icons from the world of spirituality mental health love wellness that that whole world that you're in forget about time and space living or dead who who do you want at that table well, you mentioned Oprah earlier, and Oprah has met everybody. So I feel like she'd be a great dinner party guest and have fantastic stories to tell. So she would be on my list. Um, I would also, from a point of like professional interest, would like to have Carl Jung at my dinner party. And if people don't know who he is, he was a psychotherapist that studied with Freud but split away from him and died in the 1960s. But he did a lot of work studying the unconscious, the individual unconscious and the collective unconscious and archetypes and all the things that fascinate me as a hypnotherapist. Um, Let's see who else. I need two more. Oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. I just watched her documentary that was amazing. And me and RBG also have the same birthday. We're both Ides of March babies. Not the same year, obviously, but but she's super fascinating, feminist pioneer. So she'd be an awesome person to talk to. I need one more. Who do I have? Um, how about the Dalai Lama? Who who better to bring spiritual yeah. wisdom to the party? Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> 
Um, so four, right? So yeah, does my yeah, cat count as yours, one? Michelle. Yeah. So is your cat a mental health? I would icon? say he's a wellness icon, oh, right? Okay. I think he would be a good guess. I'm yeah. gonna say yes. Yes. Right. Very comforting. Right. Exactly. And I think you know, just a little side note on that. You know, having pets in their impact in our lives, right? Um, but in addition to my cat, I would love to host or have you know dinner with Tara Brock. Um, she's an amazing author, psychotherapist, and meditation coach, and she also she has a podcast and just listening to her it's so soothing everything she says I'm like yes 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 I want to say that in session right um so if I could ever be you know even two percent like her um I would feel very successful um I'd also want to invite Buddha um <laughs> Buddha yeah. the Dalai Lama right I mean good company yeah maybe we should have like a combined dinner party <laughs> um and then Frances Sapiro um she's a female pioneer between or uh, behind EMDR Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. What, yeah. Her book is Getting Past Your Past. Yes. Is that the right one? Yeah. that's. Yeah. If you are curious about EMDR and trauma therapy, that's a really great book to read. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So, Laura, you mentioned that you have the same birthday as RGB, and I'm wondering, uh, are you into astrology? I love astrology. I, have, I discovered astrology when I was about 19, and it's just such a fun way to better understand yourself. It's just a framework to start to understand your own personality. So I'm a huge fan. If you're not a huge fan, though, I'm always a fan of something that leads you to that kind of self-analysis. So whether you like Myers-Briggs or there's different, I know in the corporate world, there's different like colors types assessments. So any of that is good. But I love astrology. What's your sign? So I'm a Pisces. And you're rising in moon? I am a Pisces with a Gemini rising and a Virgo moon, and I know that you're very familiar with that. I happen to have the exact same profile. How weird is that? It's pretty yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, are you are you into astrology at all? You know, I really I would say yes. Um, I like to read my horoscope from time to time. Um, and then Laura, um, it's been really interesting working side by side with her. I always knew I was a Virgo, um, but she also read my whole chart. And I'm a <laughs> Scorpio moon and a Scorpio rising. Is that right? Is yeah, that right? yeah. So I thought that was really interesting because yeah. Um, and it was so cute. <laughs> Michelle's like, Scorpio, isn't that a bad sign? Like, no, we love Scorpios. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're very mysterious. Yeah. So yeah. I'm into it. And then, you know, working alongside Laura, like just seeing her passion for it. And, you know, it's I would say it's accurate. And like you were saying, Myers-Briggs, some people might identify with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's another great one. Um I, I very much identify with my Myers-Briggs and it's like I'm reading this and it's like who how did they know about me I know so, I felt that way about Myers-Briggs yeah, too yeah yeah, yeah uh, that's cool I like that point that there are many different ways that we can kind of um, sort of quickly get some insight mm-hmm. you know yeah and yeah. it feels good be, to be understood and when you read something and you're you're like yeah that is that what is I'm me. like they get me yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not crazy I'm just a Pisces that's just how it is yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so let's let's do a little bit more of this quick fire stuff. Laura, what's your biggest fear? So all of the regular human fears, of course, like fear of failure and fear of not being enough and all that stuff that we deal with. Um, but I would say specific to me, my biggest fear is heights. I am terrified Ooh. of heights. I will never jump out of a plane. You're not <laughs> going to find me on a roller coaster. Even when I watch a movie, my hands and feet 
sweat and ache, just like seeing somebody on a ledge or wow. falling. Yeah, so intense fear of heights. I don't know where that came from. I I'll don't give even... you a round of applause real fast <laughs> for being up five floors. I know. Ah. Wonderful view of Seattle. I'm so. terrified. Don't Kevin. look out the window. <laughs> if I'm enclosed, I'm, I'm enclosed, I'm good. I can go on an airplane, but just even like a Pacific place, that escalator's there. I'm not a huge oh, wow. fan Escalators of are scary in yeah. general. You yeah. hear those stories about kids getting their feet stuck in there, and it's like, <laughs> I'll take the normal stairs. Yeah. I'll go in the elevator. Yeah. yeah. So that is probably it. And I also don't have any interest in resolving it. I'm fine just staying on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, well, holding ground. Yeah. Holding, holding ground. ground. Exactly. Yes, Here yes. on the ground. Holding ground. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, finally, Michelle, um, you get to trade lives with one person for one year. Who's it going to be? You know, I, I, th- I thought a lot about this question, you know, over time. And I really like, uh, it would be very interesting to trade places with uh, Margaret Nymberg. Um She was the pioneer and kind of discovered art therapy and how that really connects and can help people express themselves maybe, you know, through talk therapy. That's not always super effective. So maybe sometimes like painting emotions, right, creating pottery, um, journaling, right, and um, encouraging those behaviors of expression because it is hard sometimes to just talk about it. So um, it would be really interesting to um, see how she came, you know, came to that point and started really advocating for people and therapists to start doing this. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I know that she would have an interesting time uh, living your life as well because um, (laughs) you've got some cool stuff going on. She would uh, be charged with exploring, at least on this show, at least on uh, at least on holding ground on uh, exploring love and trauma, because truly, as as specialties go, Anchor Light's specialties and the specialties of this of this new show, they strike me as pretty special. Um, Love gets paired with lots of things. You know, there's that TV show, Love and Hip Hop. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was really into a band called Love and Rockets. Well, I remember them. Do you? Yeah. Okay, yep. good, good. I'm glad it's not just me. Um, but, like, love and trauma, you know, what else is there? There's there's love and... Uh, love and marriage. Um, mm, yes. Love, love and, and light. Marriage. Love and light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, God, yeah, love and trauma, it, it's kind of a new one. Am I right? So, love and trauma, well, it's like the peanut butter and jelly of therapy because they really go together. I have been working in private practice for 10 years now, and what I'm really noticing with people is that with all of the supports we have in modern life, in a lot of ways, things are are easier for us, that relationships are not easier for us, Mm -hmm. and that it's not necessarily easier to have relationships with other people or to have a positive relationship with yourself. So what I've seen in the work that I've done over the last 10 years is a lot of that is rooted in past events that are still influencing our current behaviors and they're getting us stuck. So what we also call uh, tra- what we also call trauma, that just people are really struggling with that. Mm-hmm. And it really filters into our especially romantic relationships, but all of our relationships, our relationships at work, our relationships with our with friends or with ourselves. Um, so it's a really important piece of the work that I'm doing right now, especially in couples therapy. Yeah. And, you know, really working to clear through the trauma can only amplify how successful your relationship is, right? If you get rid of some of those negative beliefs or fears in general that you learn through past relationships or, you know, growing up, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And it's it, I like the idea of really looking at logistically how that works because it, it feels to me um, 
the image I get in, in my mind is, is going through a grandmother's jewelry box and there's just all this old, beautiful stuff in there and some of it's broken down and busted and some of it's still worth saving and you, you're untangling this and detangling that and pulling out pieces and trying to take them apart and, and find what's worth saving. It, it really feels like, I don't know, that's, that's the image that I get. I think that that's such a great metaphor, and I'm yeah. picturing this big, my grandma's jewelry box with this big tangled mess of necklaces. And just uh, feeling anxiety, staring at it, like, like uh, this is going to take 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. To get, yeah. Well, and, you know, another thing with that analogy is I find, like, it's it's funny. We start that process as as, as young girls sometimes, and, and when we keep going back to that jewelry box over the years and finding new treasures and finding new tangles, and yeah. it really, it actually does feel mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know, like therapy work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that that is a great analogy because sometimes, many times when I work with people, something new will come up and they'll say like, hey, I already addressed this in therapy 10 years ago. Why am I still being yeah. impacted by this? Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it, you untangled some of it, but maybe there was a little bit more there. And so now... We can't resolve everything at once. If we tried to heal everything at once, it would probably kill us. It Mm -hmm. takes time. Like I said, therapy is a process. So you might have a new event that comes up in your life where you're like, okay, there is another tangle there that I, there's another thing for me to look at. And I think, you know, integrating different styles of therapy, right? So we can do talk therapy, hypnotherapy, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, in some of the tangles, there has to be some trauma therapy in Mm -hmm. there. And there's very specific interventions. So, you know, like you said, it's a process. And we have to try different things to clear certain things, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, I talked about this 10 years ago. Why is it still here? Maybe I need to do some EMDR on that. Yeah, to really get to the root of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I... we mentioned earlier how we define trauma. People's level of trauma is very different, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's not still impacting you. So somebody's trauma could be, you know, being called in names in middle school and another person's trauma could be sexual abuse. And obviously those are two very different experiences and one might seem more severe than the other, but we still have to get to the ones that might not even seem like they're a big deal so right. that we can move forward. Yeah, and the thing is, is, you know, how it impacts the individual, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what the trauma is. It matters how distressing it is and how much it's getting right. you stuck. Yeah. Yeah, is it is it a kind of, you know, not to harp on the metaphor, but sometimes you're looking at this big box full of stuff and you don't know where to start. And mm-hmm. I think like you're saying, we've mentioned a little bit here and there, you know, this idea of like, well, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm going to tell some white lies for a minute and, you know, tap dance in place so that I don't have to go into this quite yeah. yet. But I, I wonder if there's something about the, like, where do you start? If we know that love and trauma are wrapped up in each other and we know that there's some tangles there, um, could you talk a little bit about how, as a therapist, you might be able to help a person understand that um, you don't have to know where to start we're going to know where to start. And we're going to start with whatever the presenting issue is. So just even using couples therapy as an example, when a couple comes in, usually it's because they're experiencing some sort of conflict that they can't resolve. And so we start looking at that conflict. But usually that conflict is not what, what you think it's about. It's usually about something else, whether it's I'm feeling triggered by old relationship stuff, you're doing something that's reminding me of my ex, or... You know, I have childhood trauma and I'm starting to feel fearful about being in a relationship. Um, So just using the example of couples therapy, 
a lot of times as couples become more bonded, it will bring up more issues because they're now they're more Mm -hmm. invested. Mm -hmm. So that triggers more fear for them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that fear is related to past things. You know, God, is this going to be another relationship that doesn't work out? Is this person going to disrespect me or limit my freedom like in my last relationship, Mm -hmm. whatever it is for that person? So we start with the presenting issue, but then we kind of start working backwards is why are you having this response to whatever the presenting issue is? So that's really interesting because if we think right now about this period of um, insecurity that we're in, if you're in a relationship, because you said as the bonding grows, sometimes the fear grows with it and the insecurities start to creep in. So uh, that's an interesting thing to, to think about right now in this moment where m- for people that are either single, single or in relationships, let's, let's look at the relationship side. I know you do a, so much um, couples work, Laura. Um, you, we've got couples that have been like sort of stranded on the desert island of their yeah. home or apartment yeah. for three months yeah. at a time. And that, that can be really bonding, but um, it can also maybe not be bonding. But even if it is bonding, that, that even in, in its closeness mm-hmm. can stir up insecurities. Yeah. And, and Yeah, absolutely. And, and with all the uncertainty surrounding it, somebody said this, and I don't know who it was. It could have been Esther Perel. This is not mine, but I thought it was good. They said right now during COVID, people are either deepening their relationships or they're going to be divorcing, that that's what was happening. <laughs> right. Which, so, so if we're going along in our normal routines, maybe we don't have to address some of the things that we don't want to take a look at. And so now being in confined spaces together, I've worked with couples who were living in studio apartments, but they worked apart from each other. So it wasn't a problem. And now they're on top of each other in a 300 square foot unit all day long. And all of a sudden, you can't escape these issues that you were able to not yeah. take a look at. Or the ins- the personal insecurity that will come up, you know, maybe somebody's lost a job and that's making them feel insecure in their relationship. Or or their kids are at home with them and their parenting skills are really being put to the test because now they're teacher and parent and full-time entertainment and everything mm-hmm. that's going along with that. Yeah, yeah. And I would say something on that real quick. You were talking earlier, Laura, about, you know, kind of coming into therapy and you have all this maybe trauma, right? And you're inserting these white lies, right, to kind of dance around it. That is the way we protect ourselves, right, from having to think about the trauma, having to really dive in. And you're not going to start with, you know, let's talk about, you know, your deep, dark childhood, right? You're going to talk like Laura said about the presenting issue. So if someone comes in a session and says, you know, I'm just feeling really worthless, right? And then we dig into where we learned that and where that client um, first experienced that. So, yeah. yeah. And they might say it's because of what's going on at work right now. And Mm -hmm. that might be what is going on right now. But it Mm -hmm. could be something more than that. And I'd also, going back to therapy as a process, you know, for people to feel safe and comfortable to get into really difficult issues, we build relationships with them. So it's not necessarily, we're not going to, you know, make you like, tell us the worst thing that ever happened to you. The right. You walk yeah. in the door. Yeah. I don't right. need to know yeah. your name. Just yeah. tell me that. Yeah. 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 Yes. So like anything, it, it starts often with sort of getting to know each other. Yeah. And mm-hmm. from Just there. what's going on now. Yeah. yeah. And building yeah. that trust and that rapport, right? And yeah, feeling safe and creating a safe space. Right. Yeah. And I had a client say to me the other day that I've been seeing for a couple of years now, he's like, it's so funny. The reason I came in here to see you is not at all what I've gotten out of this process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I think that can really happen. I think I've spoke with friends about that as well. Yeah. So, so we talked for a minute about from, from Laura's point of view, working, um, with uh, couples and with um, other manifestations of, you know, sort of love and relationships and how trauma comes into that. Michelle, I want to hear a little bit about, you know, coming 
primarily from a trauma point of view and how love filters in. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. Um, So if we have a history of either traumatic relationships, traumatic childhoods, and that's the way we um, attach to people and that's the way we... um, you know, that can be very familiar, even though it's counterproductive and it's actually, you know, not a fulfilling experience. So we can actually unintentionally seek that out in our romantic relationships, right? Because it's familiar. So we can end up in unfulfilling relationships. We can end up in unsafe relationships sometimes. Um, and, you know, when it comes, we can just think maybe I don't deserve anything more than this, right? This is love. This is what I was taught is love growing up perhaps, or I've learned this through other relationships. Um, and this also can connect to self-love as well, right? If we begin to think we're unworthy of love, um, or, you know, even, you know, from other people and even from ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, and how does that, so, okay, so let, let's look, let's look at self-love for a minute and, and talk about a buzzword there. And I, I don't mean to be dismissive about it, but Self-love, loving yourself, having that kind of respect and friendship and support. This is something that sort of came out of nowhere and it took over the world. Like I, I sort of wish that I had like bought stock in self-love in like <laughs> 2006 yeah. or something because yeah. we could all just retire. Um, Laura, c- can you talk about the, the origins of self-love? Like, where did, like, like who invented self-love? So, and you're right, self-love can be a really triggering word. Sometimes when we talk about that concept, I have people who are really resistant to it because they're like, well, I do love myself. And 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 I guess when I think of my first uh, experiences with the concept of self-love, I think of them in the 70s. What was it? Like, you remember the commercials, like, free to be you and me? It was oh, like yeah. self-acceptance. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I think we had some more stuff like that in the 80s. I kind of remember being in, like, public education, like, things about self, uh, self-esteem self type mm-hmm. education and stuff yeah. like that. But it's interesting. Like, we've been talking, as human beings, we've been talking about self-love since the beginning. So even Aristotle was talking about self-love. And he talked about two types of self-love, one being good and one being bad. And so the bad kind, what he was describing, is more of like a self-interest and taking advantage of others because you feel entitled. So more of like an arrogance or a, a narcissistic type of uh, self-love. Which, which I would which argue doesn't, is not really love. Which is not yeah. really love, yes. Um, and then he talked about a more virtuous kind of self-love, which was just basically having confidence, having a healthy mm-hmm. self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And so we need to create the positive experiences that we want to have in our lives, whether you want to call it self-love or self-esteem or self-worth or whatever. We need to feel that we're valuable. We need to feel that we are worthy of love and kindness and that we have something to offer. And when there's blocks to that, it can really create wreak havoc on your life. You know, you might not be able to achieve the goals you've set out for yourself, or maybe you're not able to have healthy relationships. So, you know, and and you don't have to be perfect. Uh, some of the pushback I've seen about self-love is like, right. uh, the what is the thing? You can't love anyone unless you love yourself. Right, yeah. right. People don't like that. And I get it because, <laughs> you know, when you're struggling and dating, the last thing you want to hear is, well, it's because you don't love yourself that you're having these <laughs> right. problems. But if you are struggling, there probably is a place where you're blocked. There's probably something going on that that it doesn't make you a bad person. It just is that, you know, there's something that that it would be helpful to take a look at and resolve just so that you can have a more positive life experience. Yeah. Does it does it come up a lot in the couples work that you do? Like sort of, you know, I can a moment of sort of, OK, you guys need to love yourselves. Is that is it kind of. Yeah. Well, um. Not exactly like that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. But that is essentially what we're talking about sometimes is there will some uh, conflict in relationships um, has to do with 
with attachment wounds and the way that we attach in relationships. And we're going to probably do a couple of shows about attachment because yeah. it's a big, interesting topic. But um, there are some people who become what they call anxiously attached where they become they don't feel worthy of love. Not, you know, and it could just be a little bit of that. It doesn't have to be like, oh, no one should love me. It's this huge thing. But it could just be there's some like unconscious underlying low self-esteem kind of issues. And so they'll have a lot of anxiety in their relationship because they're afraid they're going to lose their relationship. And so that triggers behaviors that are actually sabotaging the relationship, which is the opposite of what they're trying to create. But it is usually rooted in a fear or anxiety, and it would be helpful for them to be able to release those anxieties and resolve them so that they don't go into those behavior patterns that are actually sabotaging in relationships. Yeah, yeah, you've both now mentioned a little bit. We've waded in just a tiny bit on this attachment theory type stuff, and I think that's another, like you've said, that's a that's a huge kind of buzzword thing, something that we see in the scroll a lot, mm-hmm. and so I think that's definitely something that can be explored um, on holding ground in the future. We will get into that. It's yeah. really helpful, but it's mm-hmm. a big topic. Yeah. Right. yeah, 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 and and then Michelle with trauma work, uh, I mean. Self-love and self-acceptance, self-support, that's got to be huge with trauma work. Right, exactly. If we go through a traumatic experience, you know, even if, you know, let's say it's a car accident or something like that, right? We don't feel safe going into cars. We, you know, let's say then, you know, you can't drive for the rest of your life, right? And that sort of thing and thinking like, oh, I'm unworthy because I'm not able to do this thing that everyone else can do until that trauma is blocked. And then again, prior relationships either with parents or prior relationships with maybe peers in school, right? Bullying is a huge thing. So we may learn from bullying, you know, you know, I am ugly. I am not worthy of friendships. You know, I'm a bad or, you know, dumb person or whatever it is. That stuff can really be ingrained and we can hold on to that. And right? bullying and, is so destructive. I mean, right. I work with clients who are in their 40s and 50s that are still trying to resolve the trauma of being bullied when they were in school. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. And, yeah. you know, that teaches us about some attachment too, right? And then we carry that through into our lives and maybe our relationships, right? And again, that negative like self-worth, right? Yes, we can't come into a relationship with perfect self-love, right? I think that's a high expectation we put on ourselves, like you were saying, Laura. Um, But, you know, if some of that work isn't done, right, how can we let other love in if we don't even believe we deserve it ourselves? Yeah, and I think that that brings up another sort of self-blank <laughs> um, term uh-huh. that, that we see a lot of as well. And I know, Laura, this is something that I've seen you write about and talk about is self-worth. Mm-hmm. I hear that in the sort of lurking in the back with the bullying um, comments is, you know, we've got to find our self-worth and our self-value when we've got those kinds of things kind of, you know, staring us down all the time or looking over our shoulder, you know, for 30 years down the road, we've got right. to really, is that, I, maybe that's a kind of a hand in hand thing, self-love, self-value, self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the self-worth piece of it is how do you create resilience, even though that you're experiencing negative circumstances? So even, I mean, we have like a huge comparison culture right now where uh, everyone's on their social media, looking at all of like the fitness models and yeah. the people that are eating perfect diets and yeah. all of, you know, the wealth of, you know, the car, everything the Kardashians are doing and all that kind of stuff. And then you look at, you compare that to your own life and you're like, oh, well, I'm really not doing all that much. So even with all of that, you want to have something inside of you that, that believes on some level that you have an intrinsic value, that you just as a human being, that you're valuable and that you have something to offer. 
I really like that you touched on resiliency because I can say I've worked with so many clients that have been through just so many adverse experiences and they get through it and then they take, you know, they get through the next one and now they're in a good place where, you know, they've started recovering from that. They're going back to school. They're going back to work. They're engaging in relationships. You know, it feels good again. And just watching people go through that process, Mm -hmm. right? If you're able to survive, even if it's not obviously a comfortable negative experience, you know, that really just shows how resilient you are. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like it would be impossible to be resilient, that the worst thing has happened. Right. But when you do work to resolve trauma and and you're usually able to move through those experiences and it mm-hmm. takes time and, mm-hmm. and effort, but learning those coping skills can help you right. move in the direction you want to go in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's great to talk through these things that, you know, I've just a couple of minutes ago prefaced as sort of buzzwords and, and these mm-hmm. things that we see all the time now. And, and but it's it's like, wait a minute, this is stuff that as human beings, we've been dealing with all our lives and perhaps we're framing them differently. And we're talking about them. We're probably we're just talking about mm-hmm. them now. Um and, and um, we can think back to previous generations when there just wasn't the opportunity and the space and the acknowledgement and the platform to do that. So yeah. it's, it's um, well, you know, we all were caught up now on, on Greek history and its intersection with, mm-hmm. the, you know, social media and everything. <laughs> but, but I think there's something really important there that these are sort of um, timeless things that... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I think it's really important to, to recognize that, yeah. that this is a human plate, yeah. but there are, you know, like with anything else, there's new developments and new science and new technology. So I think there's something really reassuring about that. And it's very interesting in the advancement in mental health. I mean, you think about generations past, like I think of my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran mm-hmm. who had PTSD from his experience in the war. And they always talk about PTSD, like, you know, having the splinter in your hand that mm-hmm. you never pull out. And so it just keeps it's. You can ignore it, but it's there festering. And now we have new treatments and and therapies that are so effective that you don't have to spend your whole life with that splinter in your hand, that there's ways to resolve that and move forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? We're almost out of time. Um, Thank you for being here um, with me and for letting me be here with you. Um, I hope that you'll invite me back again. We would love to have you anytime. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, I, I just want to say it, it is really important that that you're here literally holding ground. And um, I think there's there's a lot to read into with that name. And I think that there's a lot to come to come in the next season of this show as as we all kind of move through some some big stuff together. So I really want to thank you guys both. And um, I'm excited for for what's coming up. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listening. We're going to be here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. So check us out next week. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.